Welcome to the sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov, where we inspire, educate, and empower women of color to unapologetically transform into their most authentic and healthy selves by tapping into the goddess within. Welcome to The Sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and DCRadio.gov. I'm Wendy and I'm the host and we are back for the second season of The Sanctuary Radio Show. Um, So welcome to The Sanctuary. Today we are talking about the education of our African-American children. And in the studio I have with me Dr. Rona M. Frederick, who is an independent educational consultant who helps parents find schools for their children. Um, For the past 18 years, she has served as an associate professor of education at the Catholic University of America. And she has more than 25 years of teaching experience, including middle and high school, undergrad and graduate level courses and her teaching focuses and her teaching and her research focuses on issues of equity, elementary education, critical race theory, culturally responsive teaching and urban education. And she has also written over a dozen articles on culturally responsive practice and exemplary teaching for children and new family and families of African descent and has just published her newest book entitled Navigating School Selection 101, A Guide for African American Parents. So welcome, Dr. Rona. Thank you. And this is the book here. I'm holding it up. Um, just thank you for doing this work because this work is so important. And I think that, you know, many parents with, you know, many African-American parents, we kind of struggle with having our children go through schools that are more Euro-centered, European-centered. And even for myself, I'm thinking about myself growing up in a small town in New Jersey, um, and we were pretty diverse. We definitely were. But I definitely know that there were some tensions by the time I got to high school. And our school even had race riots. Mm-hmm. And the way that they encouraged you know, other students to go for those college courses, and they encouraged us to just go for the basics, because that was my story. I was, you know, my family all went to HBCUs. I'm not like a first generation college student. I'm a multi-generational college student probably. And, um, but they still were trying to give me the basics. You know what I'm saying? And me, like, I'm gonna take the easy way out. Okay, that's what she said I should take. I'll just take it, right? And so I think that um, having someone who advocates on, on our behalf is a blessing so I appreciate that and then you know I think that my mom she knew I was going to school she's a college she has her masters both my parents have masters my dad has two masters so I think it was you know it was always expected that I was going to school but um just that extra support of navigating sort of like all the things that you have to do to get into school um was a little difficult and I kind of did it on my own. And I wound up going to my mom's alma mater. My whole family went to Virginia State University. So I went there too. And so it was easier. And but once I got there, I remember like, and I actually just wrote this in my new book, um, the however do you want me like soul to soul Mm -hmm. song came Mm -hmm. out and that was the joint. Like that was the song that everybody was playing. So now I'm on this campus, right? I see all these beautiful black people and they're dressed up because you know how we do on HBCU campuses. We get dressed up just to go to the calf. And that song was playing every car that went by. I'm sitting in my classes and it just felt like home in the calf. It felt like home in the dorm. It felt like home. I hadn't 
felt that way and so comfortable and so seen and so acknowledged and um and anything like that before ever you know in my traditional schooling and I remember my mom was really um she suggested that I go to a, a black school. She, it didn't have to be Virginia State, but she's like, I. she said specifically, I want you to go there for the polishing. And I didn't even know what that meant, but she was just like, the teachers cared about her. My mom went to all black schools her whole life. She grew up in the South. Um, so for us, I, I always wanted to please her, so I took that path, but it, it, it has changed my life. I have created some of the best friends. I got um, I got nourished there in a way that I would have never, that I didn't even know that I needed. You know what I'm saying? So here I am, a mommy now, and with a junior in high school, and my daughter is struggling. And we are struggling with the school that she goes to. She is... Um, one of less than 5% of black students, African-American students um, in the whole school. And it is emotionally, physically, spiritually affecting her, mm. which then physically, emotionally, spiritually affects me <laughs> and, and, the, and her dad and everybody. Because now we feel like we have to be on alert to make sure that she's okay. So tell me, how come you thought that this was an important role to play? How did you get into this work? So much of what you said resonates with me. Okay. Um, just from my own beginnings. Okay. So I'm from D.C. I call myself third generation Washingtonian because my grandmother lived in D.C. and my mother grew up in D.C. Okay. When I was born, um, my sisters and I lived in Montgomery County on okay. the suburbs, but I'm back in D.C. raising my children. Okay. But back in the day when I was, when my parents had to make choices for me, mm-hmm. they chose and thought that predominantly private schools, mm-hmm. predominantly white schools mm-hmm. were the best option. <laughs> right. And so I have a narrative that starts when I was probably very young in terms of my experiences being in these particular schools where I didn't see myself, where I didn't connect, mm-hmm. um, where I felt as though there was something missing culturally because when I go home, it would be such a different experience. Mm-hmm. And when I went to my grandmother's house, it would be such a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of that critique of the experiences of, of, of me as a black child mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, now that I look back, it sort of set the stage for who I would become. Okay. So I remember going to a school called Bullis. Okay. Um, and I remember being in ninth grade. Now there are three black girls at Bullis. Mm-hmm. I was one of the three. The other two were cousins. Okay. Um, but even then, I think I was some sort of a freedom fighter because I started um, along with my my girlfriend um, a Black Student Alliance, and we even bought rations up. I mean, there were you know there were probably about five people in the Black Student Alliance, but we right. had a large crew that came to the the party. Right. Um, and you know, being there and being in that space of being one of a few lasted for a couple years because okay. at some point I said, Mom, I can't do this anymore. I went to another school. Okay. Um, but again, that critique of where am I um, in this curriculum okay. always followed me. Um, and I too went to an HBCU, okay. Hampton University, okay. and felt like an absolute fish in water. Yes. A fish not only because I could see myself and my professors look like me, but I could just immerse myself in conversations about the community and things that I cared about. And when I graduated, I heard about a teaching program, um, and it was called Teach for America. Okay. Um, at this point, I have some critiques, but at that point, it was in its third year. Okay. And what it promised that was that you could go to an urban or rural setting and teach. Okay. Um, and I wanted to go to an urban space because I heard about all the statistics in terms of African-American children who are failing. And I thought, I wonder whether or not they're having the same experience experiences that I am having in terms of not being connected to the curriculum. Right. So I went and taught in Houston, Texas and fell in love with teaching. Wow. And that led me... And to start to study, what does exemplary practice look like for African-American children? Um, and so for th- from there, I applied um, to an Africana program at Cornell mm. and my and was accepted and went. Um, okay. And my advisor had me going to African-centered schools and sitting at the foot of elders, studying wow. master teaching for black children um, and really um, capturing their stories. And that gave me what I needed to feel like I could teach better for 
what I, my, 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 my children, my students. Right, right. Um, and so I also was deeply influenced by people like Asa Hilliard. That's mm-hmm. where I was introduced to Wade Boykins and Janice Hell Benson, who talked about cultural learning style theory and talked about um, how we how we see the world. And it's based on themes of our culture and how we interact and how we socialize. Okay. Um, and so when I finished there, um, I came back to D.C. to teach. And I taught for some years until I realized that my passion, this through line that I've had since I was a child um, for really making sure that black children are educated um, or at least find the spaces in which they can be nourished. Um, that that was that was it. And yeah. so I um, I went on to get my PhD in which I studied exemplary practice, um, but through the lens of curriculum and instruction and teacher education okay. so that I could go on to um Act in research and have larger impact. So that's my backstory, but I absolutely relate to your story right. of, of feeling that disconnection and that fish and water and what's needed for children in schools. So tell us about how, as an independent educational consultant, like what does that really mean? So I know that you have this book, um, Navigating School Selection 101, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Um, but what does that look like for you on a daily basis? Um, how do you support families with this? Absolutely. So um, it's it's um, it's a newer idea to be an educational consultant. Um, I help parents choose schools for their children. Okay. Um, and I do it through a cultural lens. Um, one thing that you mentioned um, is the ways in which schools prepare us. If there's an African proverb, if you know the history well, the, in, the beginning well, the end will not surprise you. So if you know mm-hmm. the history of education mm-hmm. and you know that who it was set up to serve and who right. was, it was set up not to serve or who wasn't even included in the conversation, um, then you'll understand why things look the way they do in 2019. Right. Um, and so the ways in which you were even advised by your counselor, my, my father had the same experience. Mm. Um, and so it, it looks the same. Um, and so as an independent educational consultant, what I do is I help to help parents to think about um, uh, good schools or even good experiences that that meet the spirit of the child. And so in a sense, what I do is um, I look at the schooling process mind, body, and spirit. Okay. But I have a very different way of thinking about how we think about schools. So I enter into the conversation more so with who is your who is your child? Okay. How do they show up? Okay. Um what is their spirit? What are their strengths? See, okay. what happens in Western schooling is that you want to put children in the boxes. Yep. And a lot of the boxes are based on a number of standardized testing. Of course. Um, and then there are other boxes, like they need to behave a certain way, look a certain way, or else you'll sort of be tracked into this kind of experience. Of course. I have a very different way of thinking about you know, how we choose experiences for children. And I just want to just take for a minute, um, going back to our indigenous practices yes. um, of Maldoma Patrice Somme, who wrote the book, The Healing Wisdom of Africa, Finding Life Purpose Through Nature, Ritual, and Community. Um, And what he argues about in his um, community, Dagara, um, which is located in Burkina Faso, is that in some indigenous African cultures, you honor the spirit of the child as they come in. They mm-hmm. come in with these spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you've sort of seen their, their gifts, you're assigned a mentor. And that mentor brings out your unique talents. Wow. Um, and he has this quote, and it's, and it's, and it's in my book, um, okay. which really speaks to my own philosophy, which is, to see the genius is to give fertile ground required for it to burst and come forth. The community that is able to receive the person's genius gives birth to the adult who is able to contribute his or her healing gifts to that community. Mm-hmm. And that is in essence what I do as a consultant. I help parents to see the beauty and the strengths and the unique talents of the children. And then I minimize the role of school because I feel, you know, I have had issues with my children in schools too in terms of sleepless nights. Am I making the right decision? Right. Is my child learning? Is their spirit being broken? I've right. had all of that. Right. Um, and so what I have been able to do is to create a methodology in which I actually use my background as a researcher and as an evaluator to create a holistic profile. This is how you're 
beautiful, brilliant child shows up. Mm-hmm. And now we need to think about the kinds of experiences to sort of bring out their talents. And mm-hmm. then we can think about schools as a partner to support that. The school is not the end all be all. Right. It's just a piece of the puzzle. And when we look at about look at it like that, then we can take ownership over our children's education. Right. And we can work in partnership with the school, but we can breathe easy knowing that our children are taken care of. Right. And so that's really my work as an independent consultant, which is a little bit different than the traditional view, which is sometimes educational consultants will talk to you, find who your child is and give a list of schools. Right. But mine includes a holistic profile that helps me to see the essence of who that child is and match. Well, I love that. And why weren't you around when my daughter was in (laughs) kindergarten? Because now she's a junior. So, you know, I think that um, when she was like, and I have permission from her to share these things. Yes. (laughs) When she was probably in the third grade, they... um, they diagnosed her with ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. So now I know me. I'm always I'm always fidgety. Everybody I know was always fidgety. They used to call me the social butterfly, right? So then I get my baby, she comes out, she's got the most energy. I'm in a little mommy baby group with all my sorority sisters and my baby's the one that's the loudest tearing up stuff, you know, whatever. So she just got all this energy. So then we get her into school and she went to Spanish immersion school. She was fine there. Um, But the doctor was saying that we have to put her on medicine or Mm. she will not be a a good citizen by the time she's older. So they scared the crap out of us, me and her dad. And um, I went for the okie doke for the first two years until I realized that she wasn't growing her her health her um uh, her weight was stunted and her growth was stunted. She wasn't eating, and when we went around family, so I didn't really see it because it was a time release medicine where during the time she was in school it would be in her body, but by the time she came home she was my regular little baby girl, mm-hmm. and so um, we were around family one time and her sister cousin said she's not the same, and once. Her sister cousin said this in the fourth grade, fifth grade, mind you. I was like, no. Then I I always, because when I was at an event, probably in 1994, I did not have my baby till 2002. I was at a lecture with Naeem Akbar in New mm-hmm. Jersey. And he said, don't let them white people put your baby on no medicine. He said that, right? So now here I am, 2002, it comes back. And now they're stressing me out and they're telling me, she has to or she won't be this citizen. So now I'm stressed out and her dad is stressed out and all of those who love her are stressed out. But then the doc, you know, the, the, the teachers are saying she's not behaving. She wants to still she wants to sharpen her pencils and go to the bathroom. Well, of course. So we put her on it. Then I took her off of it because then I started to get hip to more. Um, ways to help support her brain, blueberries, That's walnuts, right. getting sleep, more fat. We put her on um, EPA, DHA, uh, fish oil pills. And then we just taught her how to advocate for herself. You know, um, this is her. And you're going to have to deal with This is how I came at it by the time she got to like the end of middle school to high school. So every year I go and I sit before every single teacher, the principal, her counselor, and I humanize her. And I'm like, she's the best big sister because she has three little baby sisters. Her grandmother loves her. Her dad loves her. Her aunties and cousins love her. She's hilarious. She's a good dancer. Like I give them that. And then, you know, the accountability's on her to do what she's supposed to do, get her work done, do her homework, read, do what she's supposed to do. But it's on them also to see her differently. And then this year on the top of the page, I put, she is a collegiate. I need you to see her through those, through that lens. So don't put her in these little classes that are not supporting her going mm-hmm. to college. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I, it's kind of like instinctual because now I have been um, learning about myself and learning about my culture and studying the master teachers and, and understanding how great we are and who we are and how we show up and... Can I just speak to that for a second? Because I think what you're saying is so powerful. Part of my work and my background is um, training teachers. And we have 80% white teachers who are teaching our children. Yep. 
Um, and I know the learning curve in many of my colleagues, we do the work in diversity and equity, but it's a big haul. Yeah. What teachers are up against in schools, mm-hmm. the pressures that they have coming from multiple stakeholders is very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes issues of equity, culturally responsive teaching, it gets marginalized. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, I'm a teacher, so right. I'm gonna just say that for many, it might be something that they care about, but they're trying to figure out how to figure it out, right? right. So I've shifted the work that I do. I still train teachers and administrators, but I've shifted it to the parents. Okay. And I've said, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that we need to understand about what it means to be culturally responsive. Mm-hmm. You know, So if you think about what does it mean to really hold high expectations and care, have rigor, um, if the parents understand that, mm-hmm. then they are the best advocates to build that bridge with those teachers. Yeah. So I could do all this work in the classroom with these teachers, but when the parents actually, like you say, I love the word humanizing mm-hmm. the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in this book, I write, I have a sample letter okay. of this is who my child is. Mm-hmm. They see the world, they do everything your children do, yeah. but their lens is African-American. Right. They see everything, you know, you know, so everything that you give, because sometimes, some teachers may be looking at the news. They might mm-hmm. have, the, you know, some some ideas of what black culture is. Right. But it's for us to actually humanize through a letter. I say through home visits. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways to advocate. I advocate. I say, in a sense, if you're sending your children to these spaces that might be predominantly white, but with lots of resources, mm-hmm. send them in a critical mass. So that means you get with your friends mm-hmm. and in same age group and send them together. Okay. And that's what folks are doing. And they are able to wield power very differently when you have a group okay. that's there. So um, so just to your point, we as parents have to humanize experiences for teachers. Right. Um, by any means necessary, even when they're in high school. Even when they're in high school. And you know what? I think I didn't even know that that was a thing until one time on Oprah, I saw Dr. Shafali Sabari. Mm. And she was just talking about, because at this point now they're stressing the kids out with the standardized testing. Mm -hmm. So my child comes home and she just wants to get in the bed because from the top down, they're all stressed out. The superintendent all the way down to the, the the paras probably are stressed out about trying to get these kids to pass these tests, right? They don't even have anything to do with college. It's not the SAT. It, it just, um, so she's been stressed out. So for the last, so in middle school, I exempted her from them. I'm like, y'all not stressing my child out. You know, can't do it in high school, but that was um, what I did to give her a reprieve there. Cause I'm like, y'all not gonna just be testing her and stressing her out so you can figure out how much money to give to your school for the resources. And I understand that I pay the taxes there, I do all that, but it was her emotional, um, spiritual state that I wanted to preserve as best that I could, you know, under those circumstances. And I knew I wasn't a good test taker, you know, and I remember being in, in, you know, elementary school back in the 70s and sharpen your pencils and dot, you know, make the bullets nice and dark and being stressed out when the results came. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't doing that to her. But Dr. Sabari. Oh, go ahead. Do you want to interject? Well, I, <laughs> this is a, a trigger for me. Okay. It's a trigger. And I'm an evaluator. So okay. I understand the importance of data mm-hmm. and assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but my trigger is that that goes back to the opposite of what Samay would argue in terms of kid watching and observing the child. It's ex- the exact placing children in the box. And just in December, mm-hmm. with some of the new policies that have come out through the federal government, now we're actually placing scores on schools um, and saying mm. this is, you know, this is how schools show up based. A lot of it is on standardized testing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a client. I just wanted to just share this with you because um, I think it drives the point home okay. that um, he was deeply concerned about his child. And so, you know, I did the holistic profile and he said, you know, Rona, um, I just couldn't stand school. I just had such a hard time with school. Mm-hmm. Now I said, you had a hard time with school. This father has become, you know, a, a, you know, an award-winning contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, so I had to ask myself, and this is again, what I'm driving home, how did he show up in school and how did school show up for him? Right. And that the beautiful talents that are these executive organizing skills, the math and the science that had to intersect and come together, that didn't show up on the test score. Yeah. And he had to figure this out on his own, mm-hmm. his, his journey. Mm-hmm. Um, years later after graduating, what could it look like if we sort of 
spent time in schools honoring the skill sets Mm -hmm. and and not just the test score of the child and what are we missing out on with our next great architect or next great Malcolm X, Marcus Scott, whoever it is, Mm -hmm. what are we missing out on when we put such a focus on that? Right. Again, putting children in boxes. Right. Well, they're putting children in boxes and then because I'm very... um, Active. I'm an active partner for my child with her uh, counselor. So they invited me to be the the, the parent liaison to like a, a student parent teacher work group. And I go to the meeting and I was on the health committee because I'm a certified health coach. So I'm on the health committee. And um, so there's a student, a teacher, um, somebody on the, the staff or the faculty, and then uh, the parent. In my group, we had two students. They were falling asleep during the meeting. The meeting was at 7.45 in the morning before everything was really getting ready for school. And I heard them talking and they were just talking about how stressed out they were because they had these papers. And it was right before Thanksgiving and they were just talking about um, how you know, one girl couldn't go with her family to the wherever they were going for Thanksgiving because she didn't finish her paper. Mm -hmm. And I was like, absolutely not. You know, it wouldn't have been my child. Um, And then they had all this sugar for the meeting, you know, all this bad food that doesn't even support the brain. So then... You know, I'm thinking they're sitting in Wi-Fi all day. That's affecting the cells and the brain. Then they're eating sugar and drinking this big old thing of orange juice and putting four and three and four croissants on their uh, plate before we have this meeting. And then the school wonders why the kids are crashing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I was sharing some of my observations about that. And it's it's not just because the kids don't want to do the work. They're they're not even set up. they're set up to fail in this new environment. It's a new environment we have. We sit in toxic load all day with the Wi-Fi. Um, When Sydney was in the sixth grade, they gave every student an iPad. Mm -hmm. They didn't ask the parents. They were just on this technology flow and everything was like, we got this technology. Well, by March, half of the parents had given the daggone iPad back because it was causing such a distraction for the child. So you you want them to to excel. We all do. You know, you want them to be um, dialed in and focused and on task. But if you're giving them an iPad and you're giving them these other distractions that it's just a distraction. Right. Then it's harder for them to to dial in. So I gave my back by March. I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. So she used her laptop. She used the school's laptop. And when she came home, she got a, a, a like a digital like a, a fast. That's what we do because it all affects. So it's just like layers and layers and layers of things, you know, in addition to the perceptions of the students and the perceptions of the staff and the perceptions of the counselors on these kids. Everybody's affected by these other things. So it's like double whammy. So it's mind, body, spirit. That's right. So I'm sitting here listening to this little girl say she can't go to Thanksgiving because she has a paper. So I'm thinking now how... How does that make her feel? How is she not connecting on the human side? That's right. You know, she's not connecting. She's not going to ride in the car with her brother and have him hit her and do all the things that we did, you know, that make you the human. So now she's the robot. That's right. And that's what they're creating. Well, so I'm here to tell Uh-oh. you that <laughs> in the D.C. area, so I'm just specifically here, there are so many different kinds of schools that parents aren't even aware of. Okay, they are. There and, are. And, and so, you know, and so that's philosophical. So, again, we go back to traditional schools being designed a particular way, right? Okay. But here in D.C., we do have charter schools. Mm-hmm. We have independent schools. We have parochial schools. We have homeschooling options. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for mind, body, spirit here, you can find that. You right. know, a school that really understands the holistic needs. But I can tell you also... Going back to that box, the box is academic. The mind, I mean, the the, um, the body and the spirit, sometimes you're not going to see that. Right. So we had Monica Utsi mm-hmm. on from Sankofa um, Homeschool Collective, and I so wanted to get my daughter into that. Um, it just didn't work out. Absolutely. Um, and we live in Virginia, so we, we have less options, you know, yes. especially in my area. Yes. So you have children, right? I do. So now how has this lens that you have um, 
helped you navigate with your own children and how old are they? Oh, okay. So I have um, a daughter who's 11 and okay. a son who's seven. Okay. And I can tell you that just last week, I just stepped back and I just said, oh my God, I love how the children are developing. Okay. And I'm just so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, just going back, I've had the sleepless nights. Okay. I think we talked about that. I've had um, the, am I making the right decision? Um, and it's and it's difficult because in a sense, you and your partner really do have to, to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, but this work actually comes out of my daughter, Zahara. And her, okay. I say her name because her name means to illuminate. Oh, wow. My okay. daughter showed up so differently than I was as a child. And uh-huh. I'm old and new. So what that means is that I'm older having children. <laughs> so this okay. is new for me, but okay. I'm older doing it, right? Okay. Um, and so I just remember, you know, like reading, just, you know, just getting her excited about reading. She would take great pride in saying, I don't like reading. And now I was a reader. Okay. Same. So I was a type that had a book in my hand all the time. Mm-hmm. I was also athletic. So mm-hmm. I was always on teams. So I, I was, you know, I, um, I showed up like that. So I would rather be, I would never be doing my nails. I would be out just you know just <laughs> running around and just playing tag whenever um, I played the piano I was probably involved with Girl Scouts so I showed up a particular way as a child right my daughter shows up very differently and she's a little emotional which I'm not okay and I actually talk about this in the book okay that I didn't know what to do with her and I was frustrated and yes. I was trying to put her in a box so I'm putting her Same. in a box Same. and one thing I say is that as parents sometimes we just need to get out of the way so I just stopped and said, who is this child? Because mm-hmm. I was getting frustrated and I was frustrating her. And then, like I said, she was resistant. Yes. And when I just stopped and what I call, and this is like one of my tips, and started to just kid watch and watched how this brilliant child showed up, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, she has so many skill sets that I don't. Um, she's an entrepreneur. Okay. She's somebody who um, is really good at, you know, getting in, understanding the essence of people. Um, she, um has other skill sets in terms of photography. She's extraordinarily creative. And now I'm seeing the sports coming out because she's actually a pretty decent volleyball player. Okay. But when I stepped back and actually started to see who she was, mm-hmm. she illuminated for me this made this big takeaway, which is you need to get out again, get out of the way. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and allow her to become because I don't right. know what she well, yes. Shafali Sabari said something that just changed my mindset. Yes. She said, she's not your mini-me. Right. <laughs> this is it. I'm like, you're not acting like this me. I was calm. I was cool. I think I was. And you wow. And and now you're frustrating me because you're all over the place. And, and I, I'm not used to that. So and that, that helped she, me. Well, and, that's, and, and, and really the frustration is coming from us trying to force fit our child into what we want them to be. Right. And when we allow ourselves to explore and be on the journey and mm-hmm. be in the listening mm-hmm. of this child in their process of becoming yes then you're able to see the beauty of what they're going to contribute to the to the community and right. that's the piece right um, and so from from my, from my daughter um, I was I for example I give all these different assessments some of them I've created some of them I use as okay. part of my profile and so she lives in a household with two very abstract parents. Um, I okay. am a writer and I think all the time. My husband is a visual artist, so he's just a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that my child's profile kind of showed up as like fun loving and um you know, like in a sense, like the class clown and, you know, just always needing to be entertained. When I gave her one of the inventories, I was like <gasps> She's showing up as organized, efficient, like, and oh. you know, I missed it. I okay. made assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, very, um, she she needs things to be clear expectations. Um, it's, it was a very different way in which I envisioned her than what she was showing up with her profile. And I realized that in my house, I don't mind having a dirty dish in mm-hmm. the sink. I don't mm-hmm. mind having things all over the place. And neither does my husband. But for her, she needed spaces in her room. And this this is again what my profile sort of does. It sort of yeah. helps parents to see this she needed shelves she needed a desk because she needed places to put her things and as soon as I was able to turn that around for her and create those spaces she has the neatest room in the house and her Mm. organizational skills have just sort of blossomed okay Um, and so that's how you know you ask you know what 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 you know how this works with my children I'm able to sort of see my children and then I'm able to sort of give them the experiences that they need to strengthen their strengths okay Um, and so that's 
you know, that's how I sort of use this work for them. Now you have a son. I do. How, how is it different for him? Oh, okay. So that's really interesting. Um, you know, he's very concrete. Okay. And I realized that about him. And in fact, I was doing so, you know, these assessments um, of my son, uh, of other children and realized that I had lost sight of my son. And that happens too. We yeah. get so busy in our work yeah. that even though you see your child every day and you're working with them with the homework and you're getting things done, um, you, you might lose sight. And I was spending a lot of time just making sure that my, my daughter was taking care of. She's a little bit older, moving into middle school. Um, and so I actually stopped um, in uh, this summer and we, I just took them away. I said, I said, I need to actually spend time mm-hmm. getting to know him again. Yeah. And we have been, in, and I've actually pulled him into a, a closer space in which I can just spend time with him mm-hmm. and, and really, really feed his energy. So he is, like I said, very concrete. Um, love school, um, picks up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a type of student that I think that teachers kind of, you know, like really are drawn to because okay. he's he's very engaged when he's engaged, but he also needs, um, um, he's sort of STEM. So he um, needs to design and create and, okay. and he needs projects and hands-on. It's very tactile. Um, and so I was able to create some experiences for him that sort of show up like that. Okay. Again, observing them and then placing them in spaces that speak to their listening. It's interesting because this year, this summer, was the first summer that I didn't schedule my child. Yes. She she advocated for herself back in February. She was like, I do not want to go to camp. She's been to Shakespeare camp. She's been to fencing yes. camp. She's been to Girl Scout camp. She's been to YMCA camp. I'm talking over the years. She went to circus camp. It was always something. And, you know, she enjoyed those experiences. But this year she was just like, I don't want to. So I decided that this summer was the summer of being versus doing. That's right. And so we have 25 minutes. And so we have, um, you know, we live in the DMV. You know, and it's always busy. There's always something. There's always a meeting. There's always traffic. There's always something to do. And even for myself, I was writing my book and I just needed to take some time too to just be still and write this book. That's right. So all I made her do was really just do her um her SAT. Like she had to get on some website and do her SAT just practices just so that she was keeping her mind sharp. But for the most part I let her lay in the bed enjoy the sun, walk to the mall or take the bus wherever and hang out with her friends. That's what I let her do. And and I felt like it gave her from being stressed out in school, you know, it gave her a few months and then she had surgery. So she was recuperating from that. It gave her a few months just to woosah. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And she appreciated it. Well, to your point, I was um, talking to my mom about some of the children that she knew. And um, she was asking this one child, you know, what does she love? And she said, well, I'm just too busy to figure out what my love is because she's in so many different activities. Mm-hmm. And there's something called unschooling. Yeah. And, um, oh, and, yeah. And, and that is where you just sort of let the child do what they want mm-hmm. until eventually they get bored with the TV watching or whatever else they choose to do. And yep. then you start to see their passions come out yes. and that's at the essence yes. of what the work that I do really tapping into their, their passions and sometimes we do 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 yes. and as you know our, our girl Ronnie <laughs> talks yes. about do 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 yes. but what does it mean to be and then what does it mean for the parent to help that child be how much time are you saving when your child is still confused at 25 30 when you right. just never they never be right. <laughs> if that's the word be right. of course <laughs> it's too much yes so my daughter, I call her the baby whisperer. Ever since yes. she was a baby, she was trying to take care of somebody's baby. And I have seen, and I, and I always like get a little teary-eyed when I, when I talk about this because I have seen her you know, in Target or in Whole Foods or whatever, and a baby will see her, any old baby. That baby will turn all the way around. If they're in their mom's cart, they'll turn around and they'll watch her. And then if I, like my daughter has dimples, she'll brighten up and then she, her little dimples will pop. And I'm like, there's a connection. So over the years, we have been thinking about, and she wants to be a first grade kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to figure out ways to get her um, 
into that space where she can fully feel that and be a part of helping little babies. And, and then she has twin sisters who are mm-hmm. probably just eight now and another little baby sister who's 10. So she has the hands-on training. And then she got certified at, what is it, Red Cross, you know, Red Cross mm-hmm. babysitting. And then she did her CPR. So we created Sid Sits. Her name is Sydney. So she has a little business called Sid Sits. And whenever we can, we um, allow her to go babysit. And, you know, really what we want her to do, what she wants to do is to go and study early childhood education. So I sent her on a college tour as a, as a sophomore last year. And she saw Tennessee State University and they have a great program. And I just, you know, I didn't push her. I didn't, I just said, go on the tour, have fun. And she came back to me and was like, mommy, all I need to do is get this GPA and do this to be able to go here because they have a good program. So just like you, it's sort of like, Letting her, you know, Maimuna Youssef said this one time, who's a singer. She said her son, he's like in the boxing ring and she's just like the outer edge, that little rubber around. You're just right there helping them to figure it out. But they're in there doing their work. That's it. And I think that that's helped me to not be so because I'm a a control freak or I have been. And so I am. I'm learning to flow more, learning to flow and allow her to flow and allow this to be what it's going to be. Because also I, you know, I'm, I'm down with a gap year. I'm down with something like that. I have had family members who have been made to go to school and they didn't they didn't fare well on somebody else's time. That's right. But when their 40s and their 50s, they got masters and doctorates now because it was their time. So even though I see parents side-eye me a little bit when we're talking about where's your daughter going no I don't know where she's going she's a junior we're figuring it out and she may take a year off how about that you know I'm being more flexible but we're you know she's gonna figure it out and we'll figure it out together that's right and so you have five tips that I wanted to talk about and then the unique profile uh, fingerprint if we haven't done that because we have 20 minutes left sure but I definitely wanted to give some tips to parents who might be frustrated in tradition wherever they are just frustrated and need a little extra support or something new to think about okay and like i said we've all been there yeah so i might be in this moment um really pleased with how my children are developing but you know things always shift and i tell parents take it especially with schools and so the five tips focus on how to um school selection and how to think about schools um yeah but you know, I say take it year by year, month by month, sometimes day by day. Yep. I've had parents call me and say, I, we got to move, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, and so, you know, so I, I think about it in terms of really, um, um, you know, this is a process mm-hmm. and, and our children are resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did develop these tips and they came, from, it came from years of, um, you know, helping parents think about schools and again, my background in research um, and my frustration with parents always wanting the top five schools in the space. So in Washington, D.C., they're the top five private schools. Okay. They call them, they actually have the big three and the big five. Oh, so everybody's okay. trying to get into these same schools. Okay. Not everybody's going to get into the school. Right. <laughs> but that's what they're trying to do. Then you have the charter schools that are the popular charter schools. Okay. Um, and so what, I always encourage parents to do is to pull back a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and to observe. So we spend a lot of time in this conversation talking about this idea of kid watching and Mm -hmm. observation and goal setting and really honoring who the child is first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because guess what? Not every child fits Georgetown Day School and it may not be a great fit for the family. So you have to think about all of those things. Um, um, And in giving this advice, I have to say just as, as, because I'm a researcher, I have to share this, um, that Part of what I did was I interviewed hundreds of parents, many, many admissions counselors, um, diversity coaches in schools and so forth. So this isn't just me and my background in education and research, but it's actually talking to people on the ground Mm -hmm. and sort of developing a methodology for thinking about how to select schools. So 
again, first thing is observing the child and goal setting. But then the second piece is understanding the philosophies of schools. Because what happens is that each school has a philosophy. All the schools that you have talked about, especially with regard to your child, Mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me how they show up. Yeah. Because that's what they're set up to do. And if you just look closely, you'll see that they're set up for this. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, is this a good fit for your child and for your family? Right. So in order to get at fit, which is the admission counselors are looking at that. Um, And we should be looking at that. Does this fit who my child is? So if you've done the observation and you're willing to be flexible in that and get that they shift and change and understand that this child may need um, a collaborative space or they work better independently, that they might... um, um, in that moment, in terms of learning preference, need need um, um, project oriented, or they mm-hmm. might need something that's a little bit more structured, mm-hmm. um, and you know, like clear boundaries and and, and clear assignments. All that matters, but yeah. you only know that from beginning with the child. Right. Okay, so let's go back to step two, which is philosophy. Okay, each school shows up very differently. So mm-hmm. you have your very essentialist kinds of schools um, that might be classical. Think Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are a little bit more um, structured in terms of like. Foundational skills. I remember my mother sent me to a Catholic school she's, because she said, I need you to get reading, writing, and arithmetic. Okay. And really mm-hmm. strong skill set. So think that, think um, probably less projects, more um, um, didactic. Now, I say that to say that not every school looks like that, but you can see the energy of some schools and how many of the teachers sort of show up. Okay. Okay. Um, and so there might be some anomalies, but Okay, Um, and then you have progressive schools, and progressive schools are more hands-on. You Mm. might see more field trips. You might see the teacher more as guide and students constructing knowledge. That's a different kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm. All right, so you have to consider again, you know, that, you know, again, how schools identify with themselves. Um, And then from there you move into, you know, possibly schools that might have language immersion like you chose for your child Mm -hmm. or schools that have a social justice focus. Mm -hmm. You know, so consider that. So I would say you have to look at the website and then talk to parents to see how schools are showing up, to see again if this is a good fit. Um, So once you figure out those two things, you want to start to match. What schools start to make sense for my child and how they're showing up? And when you start to match, you take into account what your family dynamics is. So, for example, if you're living in a particular place, um, you know, like what are your area schools? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you um, if you um, are thinking about private schools, um, consider financial aid okay. or finances or transportation. If you have multiple children, how are you going to navigate that? Mm-hmm. So once you've done that work, then the next step would be now you need to become savvy about what this school would mean for your black child. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm probably a little bit different than the most, most independent educational consultants because okay. I take that into account. That it matters. matters. It matters. Um, and so I talk about hot knowledge and cold knowledge. So you want to get the website information, but a lot of stuff is couched in diversity and diversity could look like anything. Yeah. So you need to go deeper and deeper is hot knowledge. Hot knowledge is talking to the parents, mm-hmm. um, actually doing, I say drive-bys and seeing what the playgrounds look like, going to different events and seeing who's showing up and who who is valued and who's important, whose voice is heard. Mm-hmm. So all that sort of makes a difference for your black child. In my book, I also have, what do you look for? What do you ask? What do you think about when you walk into these spaces? And I actually have um, ways of thinking about that. So I say, well, this is what you're looking for. But these are some questions that you can ask administrators and teachers and mm-hmm. other black parents mm-hmm. about the schooling experiences of black children. And finally, once that's done, you need to follow your gut. So if you walk into a space and it's not feeling good for you or your child, Mm -hmm. then you might need to think twice about whether or not that space makes sense. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Now, um, you have, you talked about, tell us about your book. Oh, I'm going to put it back up on the screen. Just give me a second, but talk about, you know, what it contains and um, where people can get it and what kind of information is in is in it? Okay, okay, thank you. Because I know um, you have worksheets and all I types of cool do. stuff. I do. This was a work of passion. It took me five years to birth this baby. Wow, okay. <laughs> because I, and it wasn't ready yet. Actually, I tried to release it last year and it wasn't ready. Something stopped, stopped me and said, or spirit stopped me and said, you're not ready yet. You need to do a little bit more massaging with this. Um, so what this book is really about is how to enter into schooling thinking about mind, body, spirit. So it's okay. about purpose. Really, that's really at a deeper level level what it's about on its face. Mm -hmm. It's about 
how to select schools for your children. And I begin with the myths. Um, some of the myths um, um, really help you to think about what, you know, what are some things that we think about in terms of schooling and then what is the reality okay. um, of what schooling looks like for certain children. So, you know, is a good school a great school for my children? Um, thinking about, you know, do you think about a pipeline um, in terms of, you know, you start a child here and then they're able to go through those schools um, through high school. So I sort of, um, you know, what does it, you know, for black boys, what does it really look mm-hmm. like? So I begin with myths and then um, I move into really thinking about this idea of um, advocacy and how we can really advocate for our children. And a lot of this is couched in storytelling and interviews with other parents um, and really trying to make it very real and human. I feel like it's a very straightforward read, um, not complicated, but really helping the parent to think about, um, again, their child and how... um, you know, ways to really support their child in their journey. Um, and then I move into once like for theory and I talk about a little bit of history, I mentioned some of our indigenous African practices and mm-hmm. what we've done in the past and sort of juxtapose that with, you know, sort of what schools look like in terms of this Western tradition and why it sort of looks the way it does. So okay. I do some of that back stuff and, you know, the backstory. But then I move into a more practical aspect of, of schools. Like, so what are the different kinds of schools? So what is a charter school? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to homeschool? Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the fastest growing um, options for African-American parents. Okay. Um, what is it, you know, what What are independent schools um, and how do you think about that? Okay. Um, and then um, I move into the five tips and how okay. you think about it with a workbook. Okay. So what was really important for me is to have a workbook that really helped parents to think about the process for their children. So you'll notice that there are lots of exercises and worksheets for you to to, to sort of like drill down on, this is who my child is, um, these are some schools that sort of match that profile, let's begin with this list, now let's think about these things, let's think about the experiences about children, let's dwindle it down so you have a good working um, list of schools for you to visit and so forth. Gotcha. Um, and then I close with frequently asked questions. Okay, so if you have, I'm going to put your website up on on the screen. If you have, if anybody has any questions um, about where, how to connect with you, it's Consult Moja, right? Right, so www.consultmoja.com. Okay, and so tell us... Um, they call you and they're like, I need help. Right. Then what does Which that look like? What, what does that <laughs> flow look like? Well, it depends because I get this call mid-year sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of um, I need some help with my child um, or they're trying to eject my child from a school or, mm-hmm. you know, some people start early. I have three and four-year-old uh, children, with uh, parents with three and four-year-olds who really want to start early and think about how do you navigate this terrain? It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they call, what I do first is I say, set up an interview with the parent. So I wanna know who this child is, how do they show up, um, and what the parent's goals are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, I actually do a a holistic profile of the child. And like I said, I use a number of assessments, and sometimes I get at the core. So you talked about your child in Mm -hmm. terms of what she cares about, Mm -hmm. but part of it is what are her core values? Mm -hmm. And then what other ways can we start start to link that to her strengths in terms of her love for children? How are the different ways that that shows up and Mm -hmm. the different ways to expose um, so I do, um, I, I actually give a battery of assessments. Another thing that comes up is parents say to me, I have no idea where my child is I, I, academically. Okay. And that and that is a struggle um, because, you know, they could be getting good grades or no grades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends on the school. Yeah. Um, and so I actually will I use the gold standard for academic um, assessment, which is the Whitcock Johnson. I don't do psychological testing, but I will do achievement and say in the areas of reading, there are different, different, um, it's comprehensive. And mm-hmm. so it could be um, a decoding sort of thing or a comprehension or, mm-hmm. you know, just phonemic awareness. So I sort of look and do a deep dive at the reading and the math and say these are, you know, like with math, it could be conceptual, it could be procedural, it could be fluency. So I'm looking at these different skill sets and saying this is where your child is. Okay. And if you need it to be, it's on a normative scale. Like this is where they are as compared to others. And then what I like to say, which is very African in the way we show up, is, you know, we don't 
actually go by these markers of first grade, second grade, third grade, let's let that child just go mm-hmm. um, if they need to go. So if I'm able to identify where their strengths are, let's move, give them more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can kind of massage the other muscles that need to be massaged. Um, so from there, I do possibly observations of the student in class and I interview teachers and I create a holistic profile of the child with recommendations. And I do do mind, body, spirit. So had you come to me with a child that had ADHD, I probably would have referred you to a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. I would have thought about um, what are the other kinds of experiences I would have asked. Let's talk about the school setting. Is that a great fit? Mm-hmm. And then also I make recommendations based on how they're showing up. Um, I can sense what the child needs after I've sort of immersed myself in who they are. Um, and so it could be that they, you know, this child may need to just work on, you know, go to a drumming class and be mm-hmm. in relationship with a djembe, or they may need a martial arts class mm-hmm. in order for, to work on discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. all those things is, uh, you know, again, I create a holistic profile to really serve who that child is in that moment. Right. And to support the parents. So because I'm trying to do the sort of that same thing on the outside of the school because I feel like she has what she has at school for now until we can change it and we're working to change it um, but I also have gotten her into what they call global girls global women yes. and it's run by Dr. Jerry Dyson and she teaches them ways to show up when yes. they're traveling internationally but also it can translate here too you know they talk about college they talk about um and it's all little black girls that's right and they talk about um you know public speaking and safety and all those different things so i'm trying to because she's not the girl scout kind of chick you know that's just not her and she's not you know we we don't there, we just had to find spaces to insert her in because um, we don't go to the traditional spaces where you, she would see people like herself. And then she's also just finished her interview um, for a rites of passage, African-centered right. rites of passage. So, you know, we're praying that she's going to get in. Um, and so, Is that but, in Cobia? Well, it's um, through Union Temple. Oh, for Union. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that I would make recommendations around. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, again, I move from a culturally responsive or a cultural perspective. That's my beginning point. Um, And so things like rites of passages. So when I curate and I see Mm -hmm. myself as a curator of experiences for this child, including schools, because I'm minimizing the role of schools and maximizing the goals for the child. So it's a very different way. It's a paradigm shift when you don't make the school the end all be all. We're supporting the child in school. You're going to help us out with that. Um, And so I do move from when I curate African spaces that, you know, that I know are viable and that would work and Mm -hmm. and meet the needs of the child. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm excited about those opportunities. And I know that it has given her another little bit of a friend circle. Yes. Um, And so. Do you have any, we have, how many minutes do we have left? We just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to um, just say if you have any like last, like maybe two, we have four minutes, maybe two good tips Mm. for a parent who is feeling a little anxiety around their schooling for their children. I think that one thing I say to all the parents that I work with and everything, every time I talk is I'm a homeschooling parent sending my child to school. Mm-hmm. And I need us to sit with that for a minute because when I take ownership over my child's experience and I see myself as the beginning and the end for supporting that child, then I'm able to create the experiences that make sense for that child. So I'm sending them to school, but I'm but I think the angst comes in when you don't know you know, your child feels broken. You're not quite sure where they are academically or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, social, emotionally. That's where the angst comes in. But when you can, you're able to take ownership over that yep. and you're able to say, I know where my child is and then we can work on them being good. Right. Then that allows you to sleep easy, even if other things are not in place. So I think that my biggest tip would be to think about we should all think about ourselves as these homeschooling parents um, who are advocates. And then the other, the flip side is we're not in it by ourselves. So that's a huge responsibility, but there are so many supports that are out there mm-hmm. um, in the community. And so if we are, allow ourselves to kind of have access to that, then you have literally 
a village supporting you in the work for your child. So it's there. Right. So like when they say it takes a village, <laughs> that's true. It, you know, it really does for all of us. It does. Because, you know, yesterday my daughter was having some issues at her school and I was able to call, you know, I talked to you a little bit about it. It was perfect timing that we were having this this uh, this episode talking about schools and African-American children in schools. Um, and I had other resources yes. too that I was just pulling from and I was just so grateful because it's stressful. And you know, we're like middle class and we have resources and we're smart and we're college educated, but it still can affect you. Oh, I know. You know. I know. All, but look, see, I'm, I'm a professor of education and yeah. I'm deeply, I've been deeply affected by the educational system. Right. So I completely get what you're saying. Right. Um, so it's good that you relied on your resources to support yeah. you. Yeah. So wanted to, again, let you know, you can um, reach out to Dr. Rona at uh, Consult Moja. So Consult Mojo yes. is, is where you also can check her out. And that's up on the screen. And so I wanted to thank you for coming. Thank we you. actually planned back in April. And she was like, no, my book's not going to be ready. And then <laughs> September, October is a good time to start talking about these things. So, so glad that you were able to make it. Thank you. And you did great. She was a little nervous, but she did an amazing <laughs> job. Um, wanted to share a little bit about my book. It's The Goddess Awakening um, and Healing. That's my, my my movement, my revolution. And my book is From Jersey to Me, The Awakening and Healing of a Goddess. And this is all these things that I talk about on the Sanctuary Radio Show. And I kind of like put them together in a book. So check me out, wendycherry.com forward slash book. And we will see you the next time in the Sanctuary. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Sanctuary. Please follow us at Awaken and Heal on Instagram and on the web at goddess-awaken.com to follow the revolution.